0: Good job, lots of hard names. All week I kept saying Oprah instead of Orpah. <clears throat> I was like, oh, it's Orpah. Faithfulness, uh, church, is a characteristic that all of us want to have and, and all of us desire uh, of, our, of our friends, of our families. And We all want to surround ourselves with people uh, who are faithful. People that are faithful through thick, through thin, that are steadfast, those that are gonna be there for us. Uh, People who don't let us down, who are loyal, constant, steadfast, faithful. Those of us who are married, this is one of the the primary traits uh, that we want in a spouse. And it's also what we all desire and what we seek out in our friends. And even the writer of Proverbs understood this ideal when he wrote in Proverbs eighteen twenty four. he said some friends play at friendship but a true friend sticks closer than one's nearest kin so we all know people who play at friendship we might like them uh, they might be fun to hang out with but when push comes to shove they're not the people that we pick up the phone and call they're not the first people we think of when we need help It's a blessing to have someone so faithful that they stick closer than family. Today we're looking at Ruth, who is a remarkable woman of God, and we've been looking at several women of the Bible this month, uh, women who can give us guidance in, in living, women who've made a difference. These are brave and courageous women who dared to live faithfully, and they dared to live faithful lives and overcome their circumstances. These are women who led and did what was right in spite of all the potential disasters that faced them. And again, it's important to know their stories and understand the culture and the hardship that they came from. And whether you're a man or a woman, these women are heroes of faith. So Ruth was an ordinary woman who made an incredible impact on the world. But before we dive into her story, I, wanna, I want us to, uh, to take a quick look at the book of Ruth itself. The book of Ruth is considered one of the best pieces of literature of all time. Um, it was a work of art. Scholars struggle to try and, and classify this 3,000-year-old story because there's no other work like it. Uh, there's no other work like it from that, from that time period. It's classified as a short story, a romance, uh, a novel or a novella. And it's its own literary style. Um, The book of Ruth has these dense layers that are built on complex family laws that are foreign to us. and, And sprinkled throughout the story are biblical laws that the reader has to understand in order to grasp the whole story. The larger picture, the bigger narrative. So Ruth is placed right after the book of Judges. Where last week we looked at Deborah and Jael. And there's some amazing stories in the book of Judges. Some are good, some are bad. Uh, but the book of Judges is a painful reminder <clears throat> of the absolute depravity of man. Uh, we humans, left our own devices, do terrible things and come up with horrible solutions to our problems. And oftentimes our solutions only add more chaos and evil to the world. And by the time you get to the end of the book of Judges, it's like watching the evening news. I feel like I need to take a shower and go pray and repent. But as soon as you turn the last page of Judges, you get to the book of Ruth. And it's a bright spot in the midst of a dark world. And we're reminded that all's going to be okay. Because we're still, there's still people in the world who are faithful. But more than that, we serve a God who's faithful. And in spite of the horror that we might see around us, we have a hope for a future, and we see beyond this world into the next. And the book of Ruth begins in the time of Judges, in the midst of Israel's darkest days. And we have a story of hope and a story of God's faithfulness. And it starts with a family that's forced to leave their hometown of Bethlehem because of famine. And they go to the country of Moab, which is present-day Jordan. And uh, Imelech and his wife Naomi with their two sons uh, Malone and Chilion, or I just say chill lion, um, the two sons marry two Moabite women, uh, Orpah and Ruth. And Imelech and Maon and, uh, and Chilion all die in Moab. And that leaves the three widow women to fend for themselves. And this is a difficulty. Uh, It's a difficulty in this culture. It's a difficulty especially in that culture, um, being a widow. So Naomi decides to go back home to Bethlehem because she has nothing left. Uh, She releases her two daughters-in-law to go back to their family with the hope that their family will take them back so that they can possibly remarry and have some hope Uh, of a life because if they don't remarry there is no hope so as Moabites they had absolutely no hope to remarry in Bethlehem so side note about Moab and the Moabites In, in Jewish culture being a Moabite is a significant setback and an issue for Ruth Moabites have a dark history with Israel dating all the way back to the time of Moses When the people of Israel were escaping from slavery in Egypt, Deuteronomy 23, 3-4 says, No Ammonite or Moabite shall be admitted to the assembly of the Lord, even to the tenth generation. None of their descendants shall be admitted to the assembly of the Lord because they did not meet you with food and water on your journey out of Egypt. And because they hired against you Balaam, son of Beor, from Pethor of Mesopotamia to curse you so there's bad blood so remember the Hatfields and McCoys this is the original series Uh, Moabites were not allowed so when a Jewish boy or girl would have heard this story around a campfire being told to them they probably would have looked up at their parents in shock not knowing what to think Ruth is a Moabite? that's scandalous so Ruth is in a desperate situation. And in Deuteronomy, we read about four classes of people that are the most vulnerable people in society. The widow, the orphan, the foreigner, and the Levite. You might say, well, why the Levite thrown in there? Just as a side note again, Levites, their inheritance was the Lord. So they didn't have a physical inheritance. So they were most vulnerable. The widow, the orphan, the foreigner and the Levite. So Naomi, Ruth's mother-in-law, is a widow and too old to remarry, so she has no hope. And Ruth is both a widow and a foreigner, so that's a double whammy against her. Orpah decides to go back to her family, but Ruth clings to Naomi and won't let her go. And Ruth speaks these incredible words of devotion that reveal Ruth's character. Where you go, I will go, Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. May the Lord do thus and so to me, and more as well, if even death parts me from you. That's pretty loyal. So when they get back to Bethlehem, they are truly in a desperate situation. This is serious. And they have nothing. So Ruth goes out to a field to pick grain behind the workers who were harvesting. Because under Mosaic law, those who were poor were allowed to harvest the edges of the field. So they would plant the entire field, but the edges they would leave for the poor and those that needed food. So this is what Ruth goes to do. So she does this every day, and she's noticed by the owner of the field a faithful man of God named Boaz, and Boaz inquires about this woman and sees her faithfulness in providing food for her for her and, her and her mother-in-law, Naomi. And he's impressed, and he tells the harvesters to allow her to harvest right alongside them. So not only just the edges of the field, but she can now harvest alongside of them as well and provides food for her as well as she works. So when Naomi finds out that Boaz has been so kind to Ruth, then Naomi, like any good Jewish mother-in-law, starts to play matchmaker. She knows that Boaz is a relative of her family, Naomi's family. And this is the romance part of the story. In a ritual that's foreign to us, she tells Ruth to go and wait for Boaz after he's worked all day, and he falls asleep on the threshing floor. Ruth then goes in, uncovers his feet, and lies down at his feet. Well, Boaz wakes up around midnight to see Ruth asleep at his feet. Cue the orchestra swell. The courtship has begun. So, not quite Nicholas Sparks, but Boaz is so impressed with what Ruth has done that he promises to redeem her and see that they get married. Now, here comes the intrigue because we have to know a little bit about the complexity of the law of the kinsman redeemer. So let's back up into the story of Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, prior to Naomi's husband's death. So when uh, Imelech, Naomi's husband, and their family left Bethlehem, at the very beginning of this story, they had fallen into crushing debt. And in order to repay it, they had to sell their land to a creditor. And that's why they had to go to Moab in order, to, uh, in order for them to redeem the land from the creditor. They had to pay that debt. And so there was no way that Naomi could ever get that much money as a widow after her husband's death. So this is where the kinsman redeemer came in. Uh, A kinsman redeemer was the nearest male adult relative who could serve as an advocate for the family in need. And so Boaz was that kinsman redeemer. Or he was a kinsman redeemer, let's put it that way. But he wasn't the closest living relative. There was another one. But here's where it gets even more sticky. What happens to Ruth? So, so follow me here. See, Ruth belongs to Naomi through her son that had died. Okay, you tracking with me? Okay. And for the kinsman redeemer to pay back the debt, he is also in effect going to have to provide for Naomi and for Ruth because Ruth belongs to Naomi. Now, Naomi's not a problem because she's too old to have children. But Ruth's a problem. Because of another law in Israel, the law of the Leverite marriage. And we talked about that a couple of weeks ago when we talked about Judah and Tamar. What this law said was that if a widow remarried and had children, the children in the land that was redeemed was an inheritance of the deceased husband and not the man that remarried the widow. In fact, the firstborn male was considered the son of the deceased man. So this was a way to continue the family line of the deceased man. So the man who remarries Ruth would not keep that property, which he had redeemed in his family, but it would revert back to Ruth's deceased family. So now, with that information back to the story, Boaz wants to get this settled, and he goes to the closer kinsman redeemer, and he tells him that he wants to redeem Naomi's property. But Boaz has this genius plan to get the property and Ruth by reminding the Redeemer that Ruth is part of the bargain. She comes with this. Well, this anonymous Redeemer doesn't want to dilute his inheritance. He doesn't want his land to go back to this deceased husband. So he allows Boaz to redeem Naomi's property, and Boaz marries Ruth, and they have a son, and they live heavily, happily ever after. Yay. Now, it seems almost anticlimactic. It's a story of ordinary people just trying to get by in the world while living a faithful life. But in the midst of hardship, they remain faithful. In spite of being a Moabite, faithful. In spite of losing everything, Faithful in spite of having to move from their homeland, faithful. In spite of everything, Ruth is faithful to Naomi and faithful to God. Oh, that we would be a people that have the faithfulness of Ruth and us. That faithfulness of Ruth running through our own veins. Most of us are going to live what most people would call ordinary lives, We will all have our share of ups and downs. We will go to work. We'll go home. Some of us will raise families. We'll make friends. And we will wonder if we're making any impact at all on the world. But let me propose to you that if we are living faithfully to God, your life has purpose and it has power. You are guaranteed To impact the world. You may never see it in your lifetime. But when you step into eternity. I believe it will become clear. And here's why I believe that. Ruth's faithfulness. Didn't just impact those around her. It impacted the entire nation. Of Israel. For generations. This is just a simple story. Of this moabite who happens to marry this jewish gentleman who then passes away and she stays with the mother-in-law and goes back to bethlehem and a kinsman redeemer comes along in this obscure culture that is just weird does and this kinsman redeemer redeems this woman And they have a son, and that's pretty much the end of the story in her lifetime. But it winds up affecting not just her, but the entire nation of Israel for generations. Faithfulness to our identity and faithfulness to our purpose in God has eternal implications it's not, it's not that simple. It's not, well, I didn't really do anything significant in my life. But if we're being faithful to our identity and purpose in God, it has eternal implications on the kingdom of God. And in his sovereignty and in his providence, Ruth's life played an extraordinary role in the kingdom. Because God uses ordinary people who are faithful to their identity and their purpose in him. Ordinary people can have extraordinary impact by living faithful lives unto God. We see this in the very end of Ruth's story. Ruth 4.17, it says, The women of the neighborhood gave him, that is the son of Ruth and Boaz, a name, saying a son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He became the father of Jesse the father of David. Wow. So David's grandfather, King David's grandfather, was the son of a Moabite woman. Not even Jewish. Naomi and Ruth and Boaz are a part of the great lineage of King David. Because of their faithfulness, they impacted the nation of Israel and ultimately its future king and ours. Beyond being the great-grandmother of King David, Ruth is also listed in the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew chapter 1. And as Paul Harvey would say, now you know the rest of the story. So we might never know the impact that we're making, but be sure of this, that faithfulness to God always impacts the kingdom. Let's pray. God, I thank you, Father. Uh, I know for many of us, Lord, uh, because I've talked. I've talked with people, Lord, and I know uh, many of us struggle, Lord, with identity and with purpose. And we, we say, uh, am I even making any difference in this life? And we're just going about living our daily lives, trying to be faithful, doing what we know to do, Lord, uh, with, with the little that you've given us. Um, and sometimes, Lord, we feel... Uh, At times, very insignificant, Lord. But Lord, this is a great story about a great woman, Lord, who just went about her life. Lord, it seems like just an ordinary story until we get to the end. And Lord, through this woman, eventually King David comes. And from King David through that line and that lineage to our Messiah, Jesus. Lord, her faithfulness, Lord, plays a part in the genealogy of Christ, not only his first coming, but ultimately his second coming. So I pray, Father, that we too, Lord, you would make us, develop us, give us hearts, Lord, that desire beyond anything, to be faithful to you. Because, Lord, we don't know this side of eternity, Lord, what that might mean. We thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.